Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about measuring complexity. Uh, complexity is a topic that we cover a lot. And in this case, we really went past the idea that we could measure complexity and into looking at the causes and costs of complexity. And so in doing that, we had a really remarkable conversation thinking about what it really means to say something's too complex and what are the consequences and what should we do and how do we, how do we actually measure the cost or the impact or the risk of complexity. So really reframing complexity in business terms and human terms. Uh, and I think that that is an important approach to looking at how all this goes. I know you will enjoy this conversation. On February 3rd, we talked about sort of mathematical models for complexity. Um, and this is a continuation of that. Although I'm not, a, I'm not sure that a mathematical model for complexity is that useful that's part of, that's sort of where we got to on February 3rd. So the topic for today is can we figure out a better way to talk can, about complexity? Can we can we define I, I'm sorry, I missed last week as well. Can we define complexity complexity? <laughs> that's what we were trying to do in a lot of in I mean, a lot of ways. I mean there's a there's a de- I mean, I'm sure it was brought up last week, but there's a you know, I've got books on my shelf about theoretical computer science that have this thing called big O notation that you know it seems to be <laughs> Pretty, pretty clear on the subject. Right. So the so question, that's one definition. Um, well, and you have like cyclometric complexity from a code, a code perspective, right? We, we can measure, we measure some things like that. Well, um, I, what, what kind of complexity, I think the point being raised and, and that is that Don's pointing to is, you know, actually all of us are, you know, complexity of what? We can talk about code complexity. You can talk about UI and user UX complexity. You can talk about complexity in infrastructure that is um, kind of distinct from both of those. So the idea that you could have one and only one measure of complexity, you know, starts getting into, you know, kind of reduction to information theory and that, you know, that's going to turn all of our brains to mush. So uh, let me, let me step back. Cause I, I think that the reason why this is interesting to me is because we often paint complexity as the scary monster in the corner. And, and so there's a lot of um, like, um, you know, oh, that's too complex or we're adding complexity or right. Kubernetes is too complex. Like we, we've, we run around in our industry a lot um, using complexity as the, as the thing we need to avoid or limit or, or, mm-hmm. or shy away from. And at the same time, and I, I might have a, an interesting analogy for this, but, but we don't, you know, some of it's necessary complexity, as, mm-hmm. as we all can agree. Some of it is unnecessary complexity. And that's sort of where I'm trying to like, how do we know if we made a system more complex and it's actually more sustainable, or if we made a system more complex and now it's less sustainable? Well, if sustainability is your target, that's one thing. Um, 
you can often find one group saying complexity is the boogeyman. And the other side of it is, you know, call it by a different name and it's, it's power. You know, this is, you know, I've created, I've created a system or a service that allows you to, you know, do, you know, myriad things and the, and the granularity of your control, you know, gets down to, you know, lining up individual electrons and making them march in step. So the, the point here is, yeah, what you just said is, in a, in a nutshell, is what's the context? If it's too complex, what does that mean? If it's too underpowered or not powerful enough for, you know, that's yet another. So it becomes a matter of context. Who's sitting on the, on the control at it? And also, what is the, objectively, what is the target? What is the, the goal of the, of the operation? Is it, I'm willing to, to give a step, a step at that. I'm oh, sorry, Sean. You, sure. I, I like your thoughts on it. Go ahead, Klaus. Um, so, first of all, context. Um, in, in previous talks, we, we and particularly since we're talking about Kubernetes and similar technologies, I think we can more or less agree that the discussion has been uh, steering towards system complexity. Like not 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 necessarily not 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 even software architecture, but but system architecture, like large scale. Um, having said that, also the topics that we've covered seem to be focused or on two aspects of complexity. One is the effort required to uh, stand up a system or provision. Um, I mean, Rob, given your, uh, <laughs> your background, it, it, it's clearly that, that, you're, uh, that the goal of a lot of us here is to reduce that uh, entry uh, complexity. The second aspect is the effort required to instantiate a change in the system uh, with the implicit uh, assumption being that the more complex a system is, the higher the effort to make that change. I'm sure I'm missing some, some, some edge cases there, but at least those are my two cents as to um, the context that we're trying to uh, I, would talk would about. you include effort to I mean to me the sustaining questions are a very real right provision is sort of a day zero question change is, is sort of a day n question but there's also like it's you, there's times when and this is one of the conversations we have a lot there's times when you are changing the system there's times when the system is changing under you mm, yes. Yeah, so the, the um, there's entropy. also the quality of the change. You know, did you did you make it? Uh, what's the what's the intended uh, result of the change? Is it to, uh, for instance, uh, well, did you make the best oh. use of the resources available to implement the change? Is it 100? percent Is it 80? Um, percent This is like 
fitting into a Kubernetes cluster running across multiple data centers. So but building on that, Sean, one of the things that you're, you're bringing here is that we keep, we, you came to, to the word change, right? I think what we're describing with complexity is how difficult it is to change the system. There's a, there's an, there's how difficult is it to understand, which is a, which is a, another piece to, that makes complexity scary for people. And then there's also how difficult is it to change? Because we're describing yeah. like three different types of change. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking, I think of it as an example of like um, a data center and the cluster software running on top of the data center, uh, running across usually within backplanes. Um, so if I'm thinking that way, then I can make change all day long. It's just whether or not I, you know, I destroyed something to create something new. You know, did I rip out some racks and rows because, you know, its efficiency was down 20% or, um, you know, some other variable. And there's, uh, well, I, I just, if, if I use an example like that, it's, uh, it makes sense to me. Um, otherwise it's just kind of a, a, uh, differential equation problem. It hurts my head. <laughs> Isn't it also the case that complexity that, well, let's say effort and complexity of, sustaining a system keeping it at you know the pro you know in the proper operating parameters uh, you know the, right now the complexity of keeping a, a ball of plasma you know nicely contained for a fusion reaction is <laughs> hellish com hellishly right. complex issue flying a, a modern jet airplane especially a fighter is something that is so complex that human beings you can't do that without uh, automated assistance. So there's, there's once again, it's a context issue. And to your point about sustainability, sustaining it, sustaining the system in question to meet us, you know, as satisfactory performance, you know, this gets into the satisfying um, kind of metrics. So I think you've talked about the complexity of constructing or building. You've talked about the complexity of making major changes, but there is a complexity or a, you know, an effort measure that goes into keeping it operating on day two through n. So if we step back and take a, uh, uh, if we apply lessons learned from previous complexity efforts, and if you want to go to the cyclometric or some others, it's having observed the systems in action for a while and identifying points within the system that create friction, if you will, or generate bugs or problems, which is what the cyclometrics originally did 
And so you look at that and it's points of where code changes, where code uh, uh, iterates, where code recurses, the entry points and exit points are big, big issues with, with system complexity uh, and uh, all of us having some operations background, uh, we find that it's where the uh, systems were launching, the subsystems were launching and whatnot, when either different processes have to be employed to launch them uh, so you can't launch a, a single copy a hundred times. You have to launch a, a hundred independent things that all work together to do it. So, so identifying what we as humans find difficult to either uh, maintain observability or maintain ability to change. And if we identify those, I mean, Kubernetes, you can launch 20 identical clusters that do different things, or you can launch 20 hand-rolled clusters that all kind of sort of do mostly the same thing. And right. in a cyclometric pr perspective, the second one is highly complex and the first one is much less complex. But the, I mean, Kubernetes, in a way, while people claim it's really complex, there's things about it that are perceived as reducing complexity. Exactly. And, and this is the, the quote from Albert Einstein in the background, right? It's like Docker Swarm was too too simple. I guess people perceive Nomad as too simple. Um, there ha there's knobs in Kubernetes that people feel like are necessary to be available for them, for the system. I, I think some of where... I'm going with this is because we're talking more about perceptual complexity and maybe not as much measured complexity because everything I'm hearing and, and Rocky, you're highlighting this too, is there's a risk, there's a risk associated with changes. And if you feel like you can make changes in the system with low risk, even if there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, you're not going to you're not going to worry about the complex. It's not going to be seen as as complex, right? Go ahead. So, so I have a, I have a idea. I think that we've we've misused the word complexity as 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 being bad. Um, what we don't want is fragility. Complexity is fine. I mean, complicated things that work and are robust are fine. It's things that are complicated and break easy that we don't like. Going where I keep going. Yeah. Or to break in unpredictable ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe add um, uh, usability in, or uh, because, it, for instance, the data center is extremely complex and will always be so because there's about somewhere between 12 and 15 variables. And you can get away from that, but um, you want to build a system on top of that data center that makes it usable, so you can manage it, and the customer can many customers can use it. There's, from that there's perspective, also, there's a degree of cost in that. It, Sean, you were making me think like setting BIOS right 
is complex is is not necessarily that complex although there's a lot of things to turn but the cost of it do, be doing it wrong could brick the system sure yeah. and so there's a there's an element here of of making you know making a change and having very high cost of failure why there's a lot of microscopes still running windows 95 with probably bios and the control systems it's from 20 years ago because they don't want to break the systems. They want to, it's not worth the chance. Which is partly from having a cascading impact of. So that's coupling, which I always I always think of. Claus usually brings up coupling in these complexity conversations. I I add an element to anything that has to do with the computer system. I think a lot of times um, it's too easy to jump into the theory um, and ignore the 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 operation side, which is cost and timing, um, or maybe even just money and timing is if a, for instance, if a customer shows, if I'm running a data center, that's full and a customer shows up and says, I will, you know, I want to um, use um, ha uh, half your data center and I'm going to pay you equivalent to building a data center. If you rip out half the data center over the next three months um, and I'm willing to pay you for it, you know, that might, <laughs> that might entice you to just, you know, whack your complexity or um, whack half the data center essentially and make uh, what normally would be a really complex problem where you try to tease out half the data center to fit them in. You just rip out all, half your rows because somebody shows up with a lot of money and, and timeline. So I think it's important to think about that because it solves a lot of the serious uh engineering problems a lot of times if there's a timeline and or money involved you know it sure. becomes a very but, simple but, problem but, but you, idea... you're changing the risk you're changing the nature of risk you know it's like uh, a monoculture what if that customer suddenly goes away and you and not sure. willing to pay your freight so yeah yeah I, I think money and timing solves a lot of engineering problems and it <laughs> should be the first big master variables and pretty much any problem because they, uh, you know, good and bad reasons, it solves a lot of these. Can, can we talk a little bit about risk and cost? Because, yeah. you know, risk of what? Risk of total failure, risk of insufficient performance. Are we talking about things like, you know, the distinction between disaster recovery and business continuity as your your objective measures? Well, that's an excellent point, Rich. Um, I think in lots of ways, uh, you can view what the customers consider risk as what they require, uh, that they require SLAs. So mm -hmm. the SLAs aren't necessarily... Uh, the SLAs represent some nth order uh, that is a symptom of uh, risk aversity. And then it's how far back up the chain you have to uh, work to meet those SLAs as to how many orders of uh, or layers you have to, to the risk itself which is kind of cool, but the SLAs are what our customers care about. And so that's what they, how they measure their risk. And we have a totally different way of measuring it. 
as the operators. There's also, I think, the, the underlying theme here that complexity measurement cannot be absolute. It, it is very domain specific. Like, take for example, again, like a even application specific. Well, take for example a data center. Like, maintaining a simple data center may seem low complexity compared to maintaining a large data center, but it's high complexity compared to maintaining a single server. Or, or, or like a, just like a home network. So, mm -hmm. uh, so again, there's the, there's the scope of, of the problem that needs to be looked at. Um, I think that that's what usually confuses people when they talk about, for example, Kubernetes complexity, because Kubernetes, yes, it, it compared to Docker, it is more complex. But that is because it, it it's not in in the same scope as Docker. Yeah, I mean, Docker on its own is only useful for certain things, right? Yeah. And Kubernetes is useful for a lot more things, right? This is like this is a case of Docker not being not you know it being not complex enough. Well, I, I, I would not say that because I, I don't want to overload the term complexity, but, but yes, <laughs> So if we get back to, to, in some ways, some of the risks, uh, another area of risk slash com complexity is um, the, the fact that observability has become extremely large. You can't... Uh, approach some of the risks if you can't see them. And so observability has become large to help mitigate risks and expose the controls of the complexity. If, if you can observe it, then you can change it. If you can't observe it, you can't change it. Part of the complexity is the... Um, the visibility of where problems can occur. And but, but, a lot of these of the large systems hide that, that uh, to the point where you can't fix it or it takes a long time to change something to make it work the way you want it to work. But Rocky, I think some of the observability trend that you're describing is a rise of indeterministic um, state or services, right? We're seeing a ton of observability come about because we have con containers that we don't control anymore. Yeah, that's a big complexity and risk area though. Well, that's so that's this, a huge risk area. It's, it's a huge risk. So this, this keeps coming back to when we're, we're talking about complexity, we're, it's, we're using it as a proxy for risk. I think this is to me a, a, a big insight for this conversation is that what we're really saying is I have a risk in my infrastructure that I don't know how to quantify or I don't know how to mitigate. And I'm gonna point, I point a finger and I say, that's too complex. Uh, the, and that's what you're really saying is it's either fragile or it's not transparent. 
or it's not predictable. And then the cost of me not understanding that is going to be a system failure. Not necessarily a system failure, but uh, a, a business cost in either repairing or replacing or figuring out how to live with it. I, all of those things are business costs because they're time and energy, time and effort. And so, uh, and then some business cost is loss of opportunity when the system goes down, but it's risk is uh, in most instances, what we're dealing with is business costs. If you're talking about a nuclear power plant, it's actually life and death, <laughs> but in most of the areas that we deal with, it's a business cost and possibly business destruction. And this I mean, is like it does cut. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Klaus. Uh, yeah, go ahead. like talking about business cost. I mean, this can be boiled down to business continuity. Like a, a like in in on a nuclear plant, if it blows up, that it it uh, stops the continuity of the of the nuclear plant and and anyone using using it. Uh, or even it, if it goes into safe mode and you lose all the power, so exactly. you don't lose the plant, but you still lose its usefulness. Exactly, and same with with, with a business. Like if. if if you get hit by a ransomware uh, and need to restore back back up, that's a loss of business continuity. Uh, it could be could have been caused by complexity, um, but um, um, yeah, I, I don't want to digress too much. That's just my main thing, uh, Rob. The, the thing that's interesting is I'm I'm thinking about the ways that we've worked to try to manage complexity because. Right. Part of the part of this to me is you start by acknowledging that systems are complex and that's the, and, but that has to be okay. They're complex for reasons, which, which is sort of where we've, we've, we've gotten back to. It's not the fact that there's a lot of moving parts or a lot of interconnected systems is not the, not what we're trying to control. So uh, in this conversation to me, it feels like we've gotten away from, sorry, my dog's busy in the background. Uh, we've gotten away from this idea that, Systems with a lot of moving parts are inherently bad, and so we're 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 stripping that back. And it's not all right. We're not concerned about complexity from a that looks scary. Well, no, we are back to the it looks scary perspective when we talk about complexity. When when we're looking at systems, like well, we spend a lot of time building immutable components so that they don't change. So they or if they're changed, they're changed intentionally. From that perspective, or we spend a lot of time improving observability so that when to, to Rocky's point, to to so that when something is operating or goes wrong, we make it easy to find where it went wrong. Um, and in those cases, we're not reducing the complexity of the system, we're reducing the um well, you're ending up reducing risk exactly, and you're, en- and you're ending up enhancing survivability or sustainability at the proper level or at a satisfactory maintainability also that's a key one here maintainability 
I I liked the the definition of complexity from the Wikipedia article that I posted. Um, basically, tying it to how easy you you can infer its behavior from its properties. Hmm. So, for example, I Kubernetes. If you treat it as a black box system, you have a limited set of inputs that you give it, and you get a clearly defined set of behaviors out of it. If I create a deployment on it, it will it will run the deployment. It, uh, and particularly, if conditions change, it will bring the state back to the inferred uh, behavior. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, uh, from the user perspective, like looking at it as a black box, Kubernetes is not complex. It, I, when looking at it as a complex system. Now, if if you look at it, if you look at the environment that Kubernetes runs in, run, runs in, that's complex. So, so what, what Kubernetes does is it acts as a buffer against the complexity of the environment. So this is where um, opinionation comes in. Now, R- Rob was talking about how they keep adding uh, knobs and switches and whatnot to Kubernetes. It keeps getting more complex. And that's exactly what happened to OpenStack. But most of the folks who use Kubernetes actually generate their opinion of what it should do, and they use the opinionated version of Kubernetes, which reduces complexity because it's focused toward the the tasks of the uh, of its of it, the focus purpose, the the silo, if you will, or the vertical or the application or whatnot. And so you reduce complexity by making something like Kubernetes opinionated work in an opinionated fashion and you don't use parts of Kubernetes because it's not relevant to the task at hand. But that's that's exactly where I see the Kubernetes complexity that that I that I consider scary, which is the ecosystem. When you look at the roadmap and the roadmap has a million projects on it and you don't know which ones to use or systems get set up with um you know, a whole bunch of CRDs that trigger each other and then tracing through what happened with that. Those are complexities that I, I don't feel like are as true to what Kubernetes does. Oh, I'm going to take away that scoot toy. Sorry. <laughs> well, I guess the can I come back to the kind of ask the question why or in what ways are we hearing that Kubernetes is too complex or so complex? What is what are the contexts and what are the you know what are the objectives of the speakers who who make that statement? What? What I usually see, when I usually see 
uh, it being mentioned that Kubernetes is too complex is when it's compared against other systems, be that uh, standalone Docker or, or, or even just uh, like a single VM. Uh, and this brings me back to, to what I said before about like, you gotta consider the scope. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Kubernetes is a, is, you know, you can think of it as a cluster operating system and a cluster is a, is a lot com more complex, as you point out, than a single server. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that usually come, like, that's what a lot of the discussions of when, when, when someone who's considering Kubernetes uh, end up boiling down to is like, do you need Kubernetes? Do you need health checks? Do you need to, mm. uh, to be able to add nodes to scale your, your workload? Um, do, you, do you need um, uh, additional uh, customizable behavior, uh, such as CRDs and, and operators? If the answer is no to any one of those, then you might be better off running like a standalone Docker. Uh, or you might be better off running uh, just a, like a, a cluster on, on VMs or, or physical nodes. Um, but once you get to pass a certain threshold where you need the features that Kubernetes mm -hmm. offers, right? Then it's that, not that, then you, you're starting to compare apples to apples. Yeah, like you have. You're, you're, you're comparing the Kubernetes, the, the complexity of Kubernetes versus the complexity of implementing all the features that Kubernetes has outside of Kubernetes. So in some sense, you know, complaints about or, or reactions that are, you know, kind of voice that, that complain about complexity may in fact be uh, that the speaker is in fact trying to use something that is overkill or inappropriate to the thing that's trying to be managed or trying to be um, dealt with here. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's like trying to use a Formula One car to, to pick up groceries. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to point out that we're still in a fairly nascent position when it comes to uh, microservices and event-driven architectures and these large scaling uh, systems and whatnot. And one of the measures of software maturity from some of the same folks that did the complexity is that as software matures, it gets smaller. So we're putting all these knobs and and what and and switches and whatnot into Kubernetes because we we need them for our specific purposes. At some point, we will learn enough of how to manage these things and how to build these things that some of those knobs and switches will become obsolete because we figured out the uh, the the structure needed and the uh, approaches needed to bring that complexity back down and to make the systems work with uh, 
focus on the things that work well and eliminate the thing, the experiments that ended up in a dead end. So we're kind of in a Darwinian, lots of flowers <laughs> blooming, and we don't have any any subset of winners as yet. Right. Or this is actually it also, the analogy. It also I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Klaus. I, I was I was going to use an analogy. Um, so I've been watching some of the SpaceX stuff with um, the new. They they have new ro rocket engines for the big the big rocket, mm -hmm. the new generation, and they're comparing the the engines side by side. And the the first generation engines have a ton of complexity because they have all these monitoring ports and they're not welded together because they they needed for things to be repairable. So like the, the first generation engine was more complex to Rocky's point because they didn't know what to do, how to build it, what, what impacts they yeah. had to have the observability built in. They had to have flexibility built into it. In generation two, they came back and they're like, Oh, wait a second. I don't need to know it. You know, I don't need to monitor this anymore. It's not a, it's not yeah. driving the behavior of the engine. And they just ripped, you know, they, they've removed a lot of compl complexity and, from the system. And if, yes, go ahead. But that's an example of good engineering. Yeah. Right. But we and and that is to be applauded. I don't always live in a world of good engineering. I mean, I don't live in a world where old crappy code gets deprecated and hacked out of the system. And, uh, you know, modules that desperately need to be refactored. Everybody just, I was just, I was literally on a call with a very large credit card processor yesterday who was like, you know, we got to get our stuff into the CI, CD and continuous test pipeline. We got to do it really super fast so I can make my metrics. And, but we just want to stub out all the tests. <laughs> you know, yeah. if this was an engineering manager that worked for me, I'd fire him. I, go, going back to the director's discussion of, about the 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 all the, the the knobs and levers on on, on Kubernetes, one of the things I find that may seem counterintuitive to to some people is that the more you use the, the various knobs and levers in Kubernetes, the less complex your system becomes because it becomes more predictable. Take for example. Um, health checks, again, something that, that I tend to come back to because, again, I, I use health checks a lot. But if you have a deployment without health checks that where the container starts up but then fails later because some dependency is missing, then when you perform an upgrade, your running container gets killed, replaced with a new container that fails. You add a knob, you add the health check, and then the complexity of your, of your system goes down because the new, the old container that, that was running does not get killed until the health check of the new container passes. Right. This, this to me is a, a great example of perceptual complexity that is not actual complexity. That you actually have infrastructure in the system from lessons learned that makes the, the overall system more resilient. But new users aren't aware of the rationale for that that component. Yeah. So, right. I mean, we, we see it like even if you're setting BIOS, there's a ton of settings in BIOS that most people don't care about. And so they're like, why would I ever worry about this value? And yeah. they may, they probably never will, but it's there because somebody needed it to do something. Yeah. Um, and, and I find with, with Kubernetes in particular that 
the 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 counterintuitive part is that the more inputs you provide, the more predictable the system becomes. And when when discussing complexity in Kubernetes, what what tends to be confounded is the cardinality of the inputs. Mm-hmm. It's taken as a complexity, whereas the behavior of the system should be looked at as uh, as a complexity. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. This has been really productive. I, I'm watching the clock, and I need to wrap up, but. I feel like we've moved the complexity conversation away from the it's bad to the the underlying things that make people afraid of complexity. And if we're talking about those things, then I think we're having a much more productive conversation mm-hmm. and acknowledging that sometimes fixing those underlying problems increases the complexity of the system, which isn't bad. A question to kind of leave for for further contemplation. Yeah. If you go back to the idea that you, you know, the, the rocket engines where, okay, fine, I can rip something out and replace it with a new uh, a redesigned and less complex rocket engine. Are we are we at kind of a point of recommending that what gets built into um, some of our software systems or our infrastructure systems um, incorporate um, templating or kind of the graying out of complexity. Um, the notion that a, um, a template or a recipe or, or a, a, a subset can be constructed that you know, eliminates from prying eyes and and fat fingers those uh, those aspects that you really don't want to make available and focusing on just those things that for this context are um, appropriate with the proviso that if you run up against something and you need functionality that isn't included in your template, you have the possibility of, you know, cracking it open and, and drilling down, getting, getting access to those other things. I, I love that question. I'm going to add it to the list and we can come back to it. That, that I translate immutability <laughs> as, a, okay. as a, as a factor, but I think, the, the whole idea that what you're describing is really a good starting point for the yeah. next okay. next iteration. Thanks for the conversation, guys. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. Have a great day. Wow. Complexity is such a major topic, but so vague, so threatening. Um, that we really do need to take the time to look at it from the different dimensions. And this is part of an ongoing journey for us at the Cloud 2030 Group 
and I want you to be part of it. So I'm hoping these ideas spark something in you and you will check out the group at the 2030.cloud and join in because we need to hear your opinions. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.